Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. ArchiCAD is the official BIM software of the Entree Architect community. ArchiCAD BIM software enables design, collaboration, visualization, and project delivery no matter the project size or complexity with flexible licensing options and a dedicated support team to guide us along the way, ArchiCAD is an ideal choice for firms and projects of any size. I encourage you to reach out and talk to the folks at Graphisoft by visiting our own dedicated webpage at graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. There's even an exclusive special offer waiting for our Entree Architect community. Go now to graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect and see how Graphisoft is positioned to help make your architecture firm a success. That's graphisoft.com slash US slash Entree Architect. My name is Mark Arlapage and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Tom Wynn, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Why, thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. Tom is a residential architect. He's a, a His residential architecture journey began in 1994 with an internship at RWA Architects in Cincinnati. And that would take him to Chicago to work under Thomas Beebe, uh, learning classical and traditional principles and details. And then subsequently, Stuart Cohen and Julie Hacker, where traditional details were fused with a uh, tailored traditional design approach. Uh, following his time with 
Cohen and hacker Tom formed his own practice, at which time he coincidentally met Wade Weissman, who he's now working with. Uh, I spoke with Wade back in May of 2020, uh, episode 323. Uh, we talked about how earned trust leads to your best work. It was a great conversation. So I recommend after this episode, you go listen to episode 323. He bumped into Wade Weissman at that point, And several years later, they came together again. And today, Tom works with Wade as uh, the studio director. Yes, yes, that's correct. I actually bumped into Wade. Uh, I think it was at a, a residential architect uh, convention in San Diego, and it must have been well. I think the first time the first time we met was fifteen or sixteen years ago, and so we had a you know an intermittent though long running conversation for several years. We'd we'd meet up every year in a new city. Uh, this was a conference, I think it was called the reinvention that was put sure. on by Hanley Wood years I ago. Remember, and, um, I remember reinvention. I, I think they've discontinued that since the pandemic, which is a shame, but it was a really great opportunity for a bunch of residential architects to come together in, in another city and uh, be able to share each other's work. And I enjoyed that one an awful lot. I, I would love to learn, even go back further than that. I'd love to learn sure. more about you specifically, Tom. W when did you discover your passion for architecture and maybe who or what inspired you to become an architect? Sure. Okay. Well, you know, I, I guess everybody probably has a story that they can um, think about or look back on that, that goes, um, you know, pretty deep into childhood. And I think that maybe the first inkling or, or surfacing of an interest in architecture, the creation of spaces actually goes back to my time living on a small family farm in Xenia, Ohio, or just outside of Xenia, Ohio. And in particular, we had this really cool old barn um, that was in a barnyard with a silo and a Quonset hut and a corn crib. Um, but, you know, we had about 100 cows that we raised um, on that farm. And so consequently, we also filled the barn with huge piles of hay and hay bales. And I don't know if you've ever played around with hay bales, but they're like big bristly uh, yeah. Legos. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, when the um, uh, middle of winter came about and we started, you know, the cows started to eat down the hay bales, there was a lot more room in the barn to start uh, playing with those large scale Lego blocks. And so I made forts and tunnels and trap doors and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's a wonder that I actually made it out of childhood. I think I, 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 <laughs> I created a, a small hit that my grandfather landed in, uh, unexpectedly one <laughs> afternoon and boy, did I catch heck for it. Um, but you know, I really did enjoy, uh, sort of working at almost life size, you know, in the barn, creating those, those forts, but it wasn't really until, Several years later, five, six years later, uh, when my mother remarried, she married my stepfather, and uh, they decided to build a house. And I think that was the summer between um, my eighth and ninth grade, so between middle school and, and my first year in high school. And, you know, it was not, a, you know, a, a custom house. It was definitely one of the more developer-driven things, but you know what was really remarkable about it is that it was 
it was panelized and it was built in about a three month period of time. So every single day that summer, something new and interesting and yeah. exciting was going on. And, you know, I got to watch the house, well, go from what was, uh, you know, a half acre empty field on the edge of the woods uh, to a hole in the ground, to seeing the footprint of the house traced out in concrete, uh, and then just ultimately get pulled up out of the ground, and and it became a, a real, you know, functional operational thing, and it was just fantastic. Uh, you know, to this day, the smell of wet cement just kind of gets me going. <laughs> Brings you right back. It sure does. So that, you know, I was about 13, I think, when we built the house. And that really was the the sort of quintessential moment in, in my formative history. Uh, and that moment in time when I, you know, quit being a, a kind of listless and, and aimless, angsty teenager to somebody who actually had an orientation and an interest um, in the future that they could work towards. And so that was really huge for me. Did you know at that point that about architects and architecture, or did you just, were you just interested in construction and the process at that point? Yeah, I did know about architects and architecture. I was also a member, there was, um, a, a group that was, uh, it was an offshoot of the Boy Scouts. I think it was, uh, they had these explorer posts, yeah. um, and, I think it was shortly after I developed that interest in architecture with the the construction of my family's home that I found that an explorer group that actually uh, was fed by a bunch of different high schools in the in the small Ohio town where we lived, and I actually got to meet several recent graduates from a couple of the local architecture schools. I was in Ohio, so there was a guy who was running this explorer post from uh he actually graduated from osu and was working at one of the larger firms downtown and he really took an interest in in us kids and uh taking us on field trips and and through various architecture firms and just kind of exploring uh you know exposing us to that whole world of of architecture um and at one point in time <clears throat> i think this was right around my senior year in high school uh, there was a competition that was held for the design of a, a new fire station that was going to be in one of the adjacent suburbs. And I entered that competition and remarkably won it. Now, they never ended up building the, the, the project, but that was a tremendous amount of fun for me to essentially have an experience that was similar to, you know, a, a studio experience in architecture school before I'd even gotten there. So, um, you know, I had an opportunity to uh, practice my hand a little bit about casting a vision on a site and, and generating a design that was, you know, functional and practical and beautiful and all of those things that good architecture should be. Yeah, it's that's such a great story it, that that highlights the importance of us as architects reaching out to the the younger generation, right? Be, mm -hmm. Even before they recognize that they might want to become an mm -hmm. architect, right? That just expose them um, to the profession. So they recognize and understand what architects really do. It's, uh, that's a great, a great story. Yeah. And there's sure a long list of things that we do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis yeah. in our profession. I mean, 
you know as well as any how many hats we have to wear over the course of uh of of a given project um it's really pretty remarkable i sometimes joke with our residential clients that have also got a a, a minor in counseling marital counseling <laughs> right yeah yeah especially with residential projects for sure yeah um, so I shared a little bit about your your professional journey. Um, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about how and and when you met Wade um, the second time, and you know decided to to join the firm. And and what's that story? Yeah, so I was I was actually living and working in Chicago at the time um, for an architecture firm that did both architecture and interior uh design and i you know i actually have an interest in in that you know finer level of detail that comes with um not just the interior architecture but you know the the materials and the finishes um and so that was a you know a really positive experience for me but you know it kind of gotten to um a point living in chicago where i i would say honestly you know, it's a it's a it's an amazing city with an incredible, intense uh, and rich architectural fabric and history. Uh, but after living there for 17 years, I was really yearning for uh, a simpler life experience um, in Chicago. You can you can get anywhere you want, but it's going to take some time. And, it, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, hour and a half. You never really know based on whether there's a Cubs game or a Bears game. Um, and it's, you know, kind of a, a stressful experience. And, you know, ultimately yeah. I was looking to try and de-escalate the, the stress that I had, but still continue doing the same qualitative work that I was doing at, you know, a national level. And um, I had a friend who had left and come to uh, Wade's office uh, a little bit prior. And so, you know, he, he kept reaching out to me, texting me, you know, like, are you, are you sure you don't want to move up here? And I was like, no, wrong way. I wanted to head West. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, the conversation did end up moving in a direction that had me at least go up for an interview and to see the office. And, um, you know, it's, it's a really remarkable office. I think you can see images of it on our website. Uh, it's a beautiful environment to work in. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's the best group of people I think I've ever had an opportunity to work with either. Um, a lot of people talk about how, uh, the other individuals in their office or the office is large as like a family. And I, I think I, I feel that more acutely here than I ever have before, um, and Milwaukee's, uh, you know, it's a 90-minute drive down to Chicago, so my friends uh, are are still down there, and it's it's easy to get down to see them. But, um, you know, the quality of life is really quite phenomenal here, and so for me, it's really optimized, um, you know, a lot of uh, personal needs with my professional pursuits in what's a your, really good way. What's your role today with with Wade? So I am uh, the studio director here, and I uh, am on the management team with Wade and our controller, our business strategist, and one other senior architect. And, uh, you know, my personal day-to-day -day is largely working with our project managers on an individual basis on all of the projects that they are working on. We have a staff of 
a little over 30 right now, including administrative staff. And we have, um, I'd have to do a head count to give you the, the specific numbers, but roughly eight or 10 project managers. And uh, those eight to 10 project managers are managing roughly 20 to 25 active projects at any given time. I think we put out just under 70 invoices in a month. So some of those projects are lesser active, either in early stages of design or in, you know, uh, construction administration where the the level of the team's commitment or effort is, you know, is moderated. Um, so I ultimately work with the individual project managers. Uh, we we pair the project manager with each project at the outset of the project, even if Wade or another individual in the office is maybe taking the first pass at casting the initial design vision. They're still involved with the, the project, helping to coordinate meetings and facilitate communication with, uh, with the clients. Um, but ultimately their involvement, um, if they, in, in, any particular instance, even if they aren't um, given the white sheet opportunity, and some of our project managers have been asking for that, and we're trying to facilitate white, white sheet opportunities uh, for the individual project managers, but they will be with the project from its inception all the way through its completion. And generally speaking, I am also there uh, essentially from the first phone call. So I do a lot of business development uh, and writing the proposals and contracts to bring the work in. But then because I've been a part of the conversation from the outset, I'm able to provide uh, a great deal of continuity in terms of the project management. You know, um, sometimes somebody, uh, you know, one of your project managers decides to start a family or they get sick or they need to have an operation and, and, um, you know, obviously we have a business to run and we have, um, you know, specific goals in terms of completing our work and getting projects submitted for, for permit, um, or for out for construction. And so we need to make sure that happens. So I provide, um, sort of a parallel and, and almost redundant level of oversight and continuity to support the project managers. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. Sometimes uh, a project manager decides to take another position and move on, but I'm still there to be able to transition a new team member into that into that place. Uh, a firm with 30 people at Entre Architect, we call you the not-so-small firms. Yes. Yeah, we're a large, <laughs> small firm. Yeah, you're still a small yeah. firm, but you're not, yeah. not a not, you're not so small firm. Yes. Um, we have a lot of the, the structural uh, complexities of a large firm without, you know, having 300 people on payroll. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you had, you talked, talked earlier about the, the, you didn't use this word about the culture mm -hmm. of the firm, but you talked mm -hmm. about it in terms of a family and a great place to work, that it's, mm -hmm. that that's a big piece of what drew you there. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming what draws other people there, um, a firm of 30 people, relatively large company mm -hmm. um, with, with all types large of for residential practice. Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. Um, and, and I'm just saying the number of people that, 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 that a culture like that has to be very intentional and planned and thought about. 
right? That's true. Something like that doesn't just happen when you have 30 people. Somebody had to have either innately cultivated the culture or specifically planned on the culture. Well, we do spend a lot of time planning and we have one woman uh, who is uh, essentially a staffing coordinator. She's also a, a really phenomenal young architect is in her own right. Uh, but she helps with coordinating the contracts and projects start times and how we maneuver our staff from one project to the next, because, you know, obviously um, at, at any given stage in a project's development, the need for staff is, you know, will go up as you move into documents and then start to taper off again. And so, you know, we do have a team of junior architects that we that are essentially floating free radicals that move in between project managers and project teams. You know, we do spend you know, a significant amount of time, several hours a week, just trying to figure out how to maneuver projects and teams throughout the office. So yes, it does require a great deal of intentional planning. With, I'm assuming there's also lots of experience levels, people coming in at a lower level, people at a higher level. Is there yeah. a, an intentional mentoring process that your firm goes through? Well, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's still an evolving thing, but yes. So you know, outside of a few exceptions, uh, when it comes to hiring, we've had, for one reason or another, a little bit of a challenge getting more experienced staff to join us here in Milwaukee. That's not that they don't exist, but a culture of high-end residential architecture outside of the four walls of this office doesn't really exist here. And so we have a hard time finding uh, experienced architects with an interest and and background in residential architecture here. They exist in other adjacent cities, but trying to get them to relocate has been a little bit of a challenge. So one of the things that we have found is that it's generally been easier for us to recruit uh, recent graduates. And we do have a pretty strong relationship with the University of Notre Dame, and um, they just so happen to have uh, a program or a curriculum that's dedicated to classical and traditional architecture. And so it's helpful to have uh, familiarity with, uh, you know, the kit of parts and the compositional right. principles that are taught in a classically oriented school like that. Um, when you're working on um, houses that do tend to fall into that, you know, traditional uh, and classical paradigm. Um, and so we usually pick up a couple, you know, at least one, if not two recent graduates on almost every year. And we have a buddy system. So we'll pair them with somebody who is also a similarly recent graduate, but had been with the office for two or three years so that they have somebody to show them the ropes and help them with the, the various processes that we have in place. Um, and, you know, when we have had more experienced graduates will pair them with, you know, one of the senior project managers to similarly provide them with, um, you know, somebody to support their onboarding uh, in, into the office. Uh, seems like you'd asked a little bit about mentoring. Um, so that's a, you know, certainly a big interest in, of mine. Um, I'm less interested in, you know, I'm I'm not so interested in running a fulfillment department where um, 
you know, the individual responsibilities for a given person in our office is, you know, so broken down that, you know, there's, you know, Dave, that guy just does CA and that person over there just does, yeah. you know, interior elevations and that person just does the technical drawings and that guy over there is really good at design. So he's just going to be, you know, coming up with the the pretty pictures. I very firmly believe that um, for us, it's almost a matter of survival to create a staff of project managers and architects who are well-rounded enough to be able to both generate a design concept, but also have the technical skills and experience to be able to make that pretty picture a reality. And then, of course, the uh, foresight uh, that it takes to be able to bring a project through construction to completion and see all of the um, uh, hidden, well, hidden in plain sight conditions that can, um, for lack of a better term, sort of wreak havoc on a beautiful and otherwise, you know, visually simple interior. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by RCAT.com. Can't find the product data that you're looking for? You might be using the wrong search engine. Broad searches result in consumer products, out-of-date information, and websites that hide or don't have the information that you're looking for. If you need specifications, CAD, or BIM, RCAT.com is your search engine. Find and download the up-to-date data that you need fast. RCAT.com is free and requires no registration. So try RCAT today. That's A-R-C-A-T dot Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So how, how does that process work? I mean, in, you know, strategically, right. Or, or tactically, um, in order to, to have to, to, uh, develop that, those staff members to sort of have that well-rounded experience. Um, is there a specific process that they go through or is it just the culture you know, that, go ahead. It's not, yeah, it's not something that's specifically codified in terms of a process that we go through. Um, I do spend a lot of time personally investing in the the project managers. Um, we spend time, you know, I will do an interim review of a drawing set. And, you know, I can just glance at a at a sheet and I can tell you, you know, the six or eight problems that I see with it immediately. And there are things like, uh, you know, how materials turn the corner, um, what happens when you transition between floors and what that means in terms of wall thicknesses, whether or not there's, uh, you know, room for something as simple as a light switch, whether or not you can get that item into the space after the house is framed. So we talk a lot about, you know, the, the practical necessities of architecture and we do a lot of a lot of sketching uh, and sketching through details. And I mean, we get into um, you know thermal bridging concepts and you know high level 
building science and it's in this ongoing conversation that that I have with all of the project managers and it's you know it's it's putting together a set of documents in a thoughtful way it's you know a set of drawings is it's like in, in a, a set of assembly instructions for you know a, a model that you might buy from the store right and so it's all about how information is conveyed and it's about conveying information in a way that is legible and understandable for the general contractor and for the subcontractors and you know i spend a lot of time working with them getting getting them to visualize okay i'm here i am i'm um you know, I'm a carpenter or I'm an electrician and you're asking for me to set this light switch in this particular location. Well, there's not a door casing installed on the door yet because it's just rough framing and I'm not standing on the finish floor. That could be a couple inches higher. I'm actually standing on the subfloor. Well, you know, so what are the things that are going to be in existence at the time that a particular element is fixed to the structure? And so, you know, there's a lot of conversations that we have about buildability and construction sequencing in order to be able to assemble a set of drawings that is both beautiful, but also practically addresses the needs of the contractors in the field. And, you know, this is, I think, in a certain sense, an extension of an orientation that we have here at WWA of being very collaborative with our uh, general contractor base. Um, you know, when something goes wrong on a job site, and invariably it does, and sometimes it's our fault, and sometimes it's the contractor's fault. But you know, we're we're we have an orientation towards rolling with the punches and having the design process be something that is additive in nature because there's nothing more heartbreaking for a you know a, a client who had just been at the job site the day prior to see that a wall had been taken down because of you know some mistake that had been made and so in at any point in time that we can um find a solution that keeps the contractor whole on the project generally on schedule we're going to you know work towards that solution in a very you know constructive and collaborative way and you know i i think that um like i said i think that's just an extension of the way that we think about conveying information to to the very skilled trades people that we work with yeah i i when i spoke with wade we talked about that pretty extensively mm. the relationship that your firm mm -hmm. has with contractors mm -hmm. um again if if you're listening and you want to listen to that it's episode 323 uh great conversation when you're talking about the the project managers and the the work that you do actually listeners you should go to wadeweissmanarchitecture.com and go look at the work that we're talking about here very very finely detailed and beautiful residential traditional residential architecture you know top of the line best you know type of of architecture beautiful homes and so you're talking about the detail of that kind of stuff tom and how that detail happens right and, and detailing the drawing so the light switch ends up where you want it in the wall at the time it's mm -hmm. not a random location it happens right where you want mm -hmm. it 
Yeah, you don't have to cut the casing around the light switch. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Um, and so in order to to get that, you have to teach that, right? And, and a lot yes. of that from experience, also being a residential architect, a lot of that comes from experience, right? Making those mistakes and then re sure. recognizing that you've made that mistake and you're never going to do it again. And and a, an accumulation of those uh, becomes, you know, you start to, to know what you're doing. But in order yeah. to avoid that, right, you don't want but, that to happen on your right. projects. So, so you yeah, have no, to you, teach you let the guy who made a lot of mistakes run the office <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as he raises his hand. Yeah. Um, it's it, so. It, is there, uh, in addition to sort of the the coaching and sort of the the um, the the reviews and and having them be taught, like actually, you know, teaching them, uh, is there a, sort of a shadow process that they go through that they sort of can see the things you yes. do so they learn yeah, what they so need to learn there you know when you when we have somebody in our office who is you know roughly in that five to seven year experience range so they've they've been on a project and we you know even with our junior staff if we can keep them on a project um and not just, you know, be the, again, the person who just draws the interior elevations, but if we can keep them on the project and have them attend site visits with their project managers yeah. and get them exposed to the job site, that really facilitates the the learning curve significantly. But when we get the the staff who have been with us for long enough, they've been on a few job sites, they've um, you know, worked with a couple different project managers and gotten some of the different flavors that individual PMs bring to their own processes. Um, and we feel like, you know, they're, they are keyed in on the right information, the right notion about how a project should progress when they're providing insights about issues that they see in the drawing set and also providing, you know, some potential solutions. They're like, okay, well, that's somebody who is, you know, ready to start, you know, down the path towards becoming a fully fledged project manager. And so we'll try and pick a, a smaller project. Now, sometimes, you know, the addition renovation projects can be highly complex. So if it's a smaller project, like a guest house or a cabin or just a smaller residential structure somewhere in the woods, that's relatively straightforward and simple, we will actually pair them with one of our senior project managers and they will meet with their senior project manager once a week or as needed. Right. Yeah. And and that senior PM will essentially show them the ropes of, well, this is how you so I don't know if you're familiar with uh, there was a Dell Tech project product that we use called Azera that, you know, sure. does our yeah. invoicing and billing and timesheets and that sort of thing. But we also use it for scheduling our projects and for looking at how far out our workflow, you know, is projecting into the future. And so, you know, the, there's a bit of learning curve, you know, with that software. And so the project managers will essentially work with our junior project managers and show them the ropes, you know, in terms of our internal systems and how those things actually operate. But the project that the senior project manager isn't actually doing the project or running their project, they're just providing the kind of support and oversight that they need because, you know, um, uh, you know, myself in the current role that I have, I, you know, uh, my calendar gets booked out pretty solidly for a couple of weeks. And it's it's harder for me to do a drive by, you know, appointment with somebody who might need that extra level of support. So we like to make sure that there's somebody 
um, who is, you know, proximally located near them in the office, who is familiar with the project, but isn't specifically responsible for its development. So, you know, again, it's, it's a buddy system of sorts. Yeah. Who, who, um, who is managing the client experience at your firm? Is that project managers? So when you say managing the client experience, are you talking about who is the person who handles the day-to-day, you know, information yeah, exchange? The whole, the whole process. So, you know, from the point where, you know, once they've signed on to be a client and the design mm-hmm. process starts, who's meeting with the client to do that design process and then who's managing the rest of the project with the client and how does that handoff happen if they, so the, if it's a different person there's a lot of different answers to that because you know we have you know much larger more sorry about that we have you know larger more complicated projects we have smaller simpler projects and depending on the level of sophistication or firepower that you know a project needs the the initial concept drawing can be generated by Wade or myself or our director of design, Eric Slavin, um, or, uh, you know, if, if a project manager has a specific interest in, you know, scratching that itch and generating a schematic design, we'll give them the program and they'll, you know, start to sketch through, um, you know, a few ideas and they'll, meet with myself and Wade or myself and Eric, and we'll provide, you know, that kind of desk crit opportunity. Um, So there are a lot of different ways that a project is, uh, that a project's design vision is realized. So I don't have, um, you know, a a one size fits all answer for you there. The the attorneys often say it depends. That's usually. It depends. (laughs) And that is true. Yes. That's usually the answer. Yes, the attorneys. Uh, so that's that's very interesting because that's always that's always a difficult uh, process with the client, right? Because you want to make sure that the client is managed and handled well. Um, yes, and-, and so I'll be, you know, I try and be in every client meeting, um, which is doesn't always happen. If I'm not there, you know, usually Wade will be able to be there. Sometimes it's both of us. It's another one of those things that it just kind of depends on. Yeah on you know whether the client's particularly high touch or not and at what stage in the project's development we happen to find ourselves in yeah it, it's it's interesting to hear you share sort of the behind the scenes of wade weissman architects and 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 understand how these beautiful houses are designed it's a finely so. polished well-oiled machine don't <laughs> let anybody ever tell you differently it's it's it, you know we're talking to thousands of architects who are primarily small firm architects and mm-hmm. and uh are striving to figure it all out right and so it's it's uh yes it's great to hear how your firm does the things that they do it's you know it's it's i think it's always good and i was in uh a sole proprietor for eight years or so in chicago and i remember the first time that i was working on a design for for my first house and i realized there was nobody else to talk to or to ask and i just had to make a decision and it almost didn't matter what the decision was just that a decision be made right. and that you then kind of play out what the uh, implications are, you know, as, as time goes on. Um, but it's, 
I think it's a very frightening prospect for a lot of people when they have a blank sheet of paper in front of them and you want to put a line down, but you want to make sure it's in the right spot and the right length. And, you know, you, you, you know, you can get a little bit paralyzed. So it's, it's not so much what the idea is, but that you do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, how about, how about what, and let me ask you that, that final question that I ask everybody, cause that, that was a very good, uh, lead into something like that. What's, what is the one thing that a small firm architect can do to today to build a better business for tomorrow? Self-care. I think, I think that, um, I, you know, we've, we've all had health challenges in the past or, or witnessed people who, who have, uh, and I think that if you're going to be running a practice and if you have that kind of entrepreneurial personality, there's always a lot of drive that comes with that. And it's very easy to drive yourself into the ground. And so I think, um, you know, anybody who is, uh, and, and I think that that's true too for a lot of the, the project managers. I mean, these are demanding projects with demanding yeah. schedules and demanding clients. And, you know, the, the, the number of hours that it takes to realize a project can be extreme with people you know, we try not to have people scheduled, you know, more than say 42 to 45 hours a week, but, you know, we consistently see people in the mid to upper fifties. And I think that, um, you know, a big project requires a great deal of stamina. Um, it is a long game. It is something which is, um, which, which occurs over, you know, a minimum of a three, if not a five-year period of time. And um, and you have to learn to pace yourself. And so that's kind of why I'm saying I think that self-care is really important to be able to make sure that, you know, after those five years, there's still something left of you that's <laughs> useful. Yes, that's very wise advice, especially now, you know, having, having come out of, of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people are struggling, not only mentally, uh, but also physically, right. That they've, mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you're locked in your mm -hmm. house for two years, you don't move around very much. Yes. Um, and I'm starting to see people talk about that, 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 uh, you know, the more obvious thing is the, is the, the wellness and the mental health, right. That, that it, people are sort of, um, trying to rebuild from, um, but the physical, you know, uh, wellness is, is critical as well. Um, that you have to be intentional about getting up and moving and getting out and taking care of yourself. Uh, and so that being a priority is a great answer to that question. So thank you for, for that. And for the reminder, uh, because I think a lot of us who are listening right now are nodding our heads. Yeah. It's yeah. Me. yeah. You've right? got to do we, it. We need to make sure we do that before it's too late because often, often, um, you can get to a point where, you, you know, some of the things that, that, uh, could happen from that are irreversible, right? That, that mm -hmm. as you get older, right? I, today, actually today, literally today is my birthday. I'm a 53 oh, years old birthday. today. Thank you. Okay. Um, and you know, when you, when you start getting into your fifties, you realize, you know, the things that you did as your 20 and 30 year old, mm -hmm. you know, some of those bad habits that you had that, that lasted for years are now sort of you know, rising up and becoming issues that, you know, that, that, that are irreversible, right? Those are things that, that, you know, you did because you didn't take care of yourself for 20 years. Uh, and so it's a very good reminder for that for me as well. So thank you. His name is Tom Wynn. 
The firm name is Wade Weissman Architecture. You should go check out the website at wadeweissmanarchitecture.com. We will have a link to that on the show notes. Tom, thank you for coming by and, and sharing about Wade Weissman Architecture and about your experience and, and the sort of a little bit of it, the, the behind the scenes of how those beautiful houses get designed and built. So I appreciate you coming by here and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much, Mark. It was a pleasure to talk to you today. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, share a link with a friend. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Please share a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I'd appreciate it. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. It's the network dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at Gable Media at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Go check it out. We have, I think... 13 podcasts over there now gablemedia.com and before we wrap up a special thank you to our partners at graphisoft for helping our community of architects make the transition to bim with archicad software go now to graphisoft.com slash us slash entree architect and see how graphisoft is positioning to help make your architecture firm a success visit graphisoft.com slash us slash Entree Architect to learn more. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arla Page. Love, learn, and go share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? 
Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.